We at Autism and Color believe in letting people express themselves in the manner that they are most comfortable. We respect their freedom of speech and their voices. The views that our guests express are not always aligned with those of Autism and Color. Good day and welcome to Autism in Color with Lebecky and Siobhan. Siobhan is feeling a little under the weather, but she's here. She's a trooper and we're glad to have her. And today we are interviewing LaShondra Oates. Hi, LaShondra. Hi, Siobhan. Hi, you all. Thank you all so much for having me on here. I appreciate it. Good to finally meet you all. Same here, same here. Just to our listening audience, you may hear Siobhan's voice a little less because, uh, like I stated, she's a little bit under the weather. So, Lissandra, I had the opportunity to speak with you about your son, Denzel, who's 26 years old. And we talked about him being born in the 90s. And, oh, boy, we know the 90s was a very hard time for those of us who have kids on the autism spectrum. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. Okay. About your son. And we'll talk about where he was then, where he's at now, and how things are going. So okay. tell me, how old was he when you got the diagnosis of autism? He was actually getting ready to turn, um, he was 15, so he was about to he's about to turn 16 years of age when they made me aware that he was on the autism spectrum of as far as high functioning was concerned. Okay, so you say high functioning, but how how was it for you getting the diagnosis of autism? Um, it was it was uh, hectic. I didn't even know anything about autism at the time. So the the journey to get him any type of diagnosis was a lengthy one um, because he was displaying, or I'd seen as he was a child, or uh, as a you know a young child around two or three years a- years of age, just being really sad, really upset, being angry, um, and so I didn't know if it was just him, you know, just being a kid, you know, being a toddler. If that's how they that how they acted. Um, so the journey was long and a lengthy one because there was all these other diagnoses that were put there beforehand uh, that. I wasn't aware of that he might have actually also had that would play a part in having a dual diagnosis. So you talk about a dual diagnosis. What what kind of behaviors was he displaying that made you want to get him tested? I would say prior to the whenever initially when he got tested, he was around 11, um, mainly during that time, uh, because prior to that, it was just trying to deal with him being a child and not knowing that he needed any type of testing. You know, me just thinking that, I'm not parenting well, you know, he's just a, you know, he's just a defiant child, um, sad or angry child for whatever reason. Um, so I didn't think he needed it. Uh, it wasn't until he got to the place where I felt like he was becoming uh, depressed, um, didn't want to go to school. Um, he was uh, hearing things. He was seeing things. He was becoming very withdrawn. He wasn't talking as much uh, at all whenever he was around that age. Uh, he just, whenever he did go to school, he was constantly being removed from school. Um, they were saying that he wasn't, uh, he wasn't paying attention. He wasn't trying to learn. He wasn't focused. 
Uh, the teachers were saying that he was very defiant, that he was causing issues with the other kids, that he was fighting the other children. So at that time, I knew that there was something happening and I just didn't know what. Um, but whenever it got to the point where um, I was really unable to manage at all and unable to manage him, I reached out to different uh, counselors and therapists to see if they would see him to try to help me get a diagnosis or to find out what was happening. I don't think more or less to get a diagnosis. I think it was just to find out what was happening with him because I had no idea, but I, it was a lengthy process. Did he have language? Because all this was taking place in elementary school, correct? Did he have language at this time? Was he able to communicate with you what was happening with him? Um, no, he really didn't. He just cried a lot. Um, he did. I guess he didn't know how to explain or express words, but uh, he could talk. He seemed to talk, start talking on regular time, but he didn't want to talk. Uh, the doctors never said he had any issues when he was infant with talking, yet he did not like to talk. Um, from my you know, from my understanding, so he was vocal or, or had the ability to, to verbalize, yet he just did not. Um, he just became where he just say, yes, no, um, I don't know. Or whenever he didn't know how to express the feelings he was feeling, he would just yell, he would just scream, but he didn't really say what he was feeling. So what was his development like between infancy to the age of, between infancy and school age? Uh, but during that time, I would say his development to me seemed to be on point. I think he, he crawled a little bit later um, than usual. Uh, the getting him to potty train was really difficult. Um, he didn't, he didn't potty train very, very well at all. So it took a long time to get him from, uh, to stop him from bedwetting or from using the bathroom or using the, you know, using the potty or going to the, or going to the bathroom. So that was a struggle. Uh, I would say as far as like talking, he didn't, like I said, he didn't talk a lot, but the doctors didn't say he had any issues uh, with that, but he, he would, he screamed a lot as a child, but there were so many other things that were, uh, that he had that, that he had, that he was dealing with at the time that I thought were possibly the issue what was uh, that he was dealing with. Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. What were some things okay. that he was dealing with between infancy and, and, and school age? Well, I thought some of it uh, that might have been coming about was that uh, he had he had he got eczema as a as an infant as, at six months old. So I remember he would just yell and scream. I didn't know what was wrong. And then I realized one day he just broke out with patches all over himself. So I didn't know if the screaming was coming from that because it was, I was itching and irritation. So he had medicine for that. Yet at the same time, he still screamed and yelled I, whenever we would go to church. There was a lot of clapping, a lot of, you know, you know, African-American church, a lot of, you know, screaming and shut. He would just, it irritated him, seemed to irritate him so bad. So they were like, you know, you need to take him somewhere and, and spank him. You know, he needs to learn to be still, you know, but he just didn't like that. He, he didn't like all the noise from what I understand now. Right. So looking back, you can tell that he was displaying sensory overload. Right. He, 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 and he doesn't like it to this day. He doesn't like to go in. Uh, he doesn't like churches, you know, because he's like, why do they scream so much? You know, this all, he doesn't like that type of environment. And so um, 
I don't try to make them, you know, the go noise, because of that. The noise is loud. So it's loud. Right. So he, he hears noise at a different frequency than we do. Right. And it's very irritating for him. Right. But there's certain noise, there's certain noises that bring him pleasure that he enjoys. Absolutely. Yet there's certain noises, and I guess in a, a, a combination of hearing them that he doesn't like. Like sometimes even chewing, certain chewing, he doesn't like it. Certain slurping or sucking noises, he hates it. It may, you know, he's like he says it makes his skin crawl. So I'm always mindful, you know, so he doesn't like to eat around people, you know, just certain things now I can pick up on and say, okay, you know what, this was a problem for him, why he doesn't like that if I'm tapping something or pin clicking, any of those type of noises, he just didn't uh, like it. So those things started making me pay attention, uh, what possibly was irritating him or people touching his hair, he didn't want people to touch his hair um, or want people to hug him and and, like and, and hold him at certain times, right? Sometimes you just couldn't, you couldn't comfort him. And then he was displaying all these signs of autism. But as we know, in the nineties, mm. autism was new, right? New at all, right? Because I'm right. sure there were others who had had autism prior to the nineties, but no one knew. And so as time went on, we came to learn more about autism because more kids were being diagnosed with autism and they thought, I don't know who they are, but mm -hmm. I, I, I want to say they thought, but what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it was hard in the nineties to get that diagnosis of autism because it was so misunderstood right and more and more boys were being born or being diagnosed right and so, and so i feel like at that time the things that the, the, the precursor what they tend to do to sometimes with the african-american young boys because i heard all these different things the different terms was oh he needs a he's 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 ADHD, you know, or, um, you know, he's, he needs to be on Ritalin. We want to put him on these types of types of things. I'm thinking, no, I don't think this is the issue. So I was so against those type of things because I didn't feel like that's what the, the issue was or the problem was. So how did you manage, how did you manage him getting through elementary school? Because I know you, you spoke about at one point that you had to remove him from school because there was there were so many things going on. You being a young mother, right, and unable to get the help that you needed and not knowing what to do, right. Right. Uh, it was really, yeah. You know, looking back now, I'm like, I'm not sure how I managed, <laughs> honestly, because. When I, when I think about the, whenever he would go to school and I'd be like, just praying, like, let this child have a good day. You know, they're not, you know, for them not to call me. And then I would get that phone call. Boom. You know, you need to come and get, need to come and get him, uh, get him. You know, he's, he's throwing things in the classroom. You know, he's kicking the other kids. You know, he's yelling, he's screaming, he won't do his work. He's fighting the teachers. And, and they were just like, we're going to, the only, for them, the only thing they could do at that time, whenever he's in the first and the second grade and the third grade was, we're just going to kick him out of school. You spoke about a gentleman who was there 
to assist you? Because who did you have on your team? Like, who did you have to go to? Who did you have to ask questions? Or was there anyone, his dad, your parents, grandparents? No, I didn't have anyone because I was a young, I was a very young mother. His father at the time, you know, when we met, would, you know, we were only, you know, 18, 19. When I had my son, I was 21. So he wasn't really at a place where he could really assist or really understand what's happening. He thought, you know, he just, uh, he just acting up, you know, that's what he felt like a lot of this, this was. So, but me on my end, I knew that there had to be more going on at that time because we were no longer together when I, whenever uh, I turned, when I turned 21, we went our separate ways. And so during that time of going through the schooling, a lot of it just was on me. So I would try to have his dad talk to him, but he wasn't really given anything to really assist. So whenever he did spend time with them, it was just more or less just beat him, you know, just, just beat him every time because he's acting up, you know, acting up in school. And that wasn't making it any worse. And it just seemed to make him more depressed, make him more, um, make him more withdrawn. And so then I had to go behind him and I'm trying to hug him and comfort him because I realized, okay, this is not working. There's something else going on, but I don't know what's happening. And so, uh, so this went on from, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, you know, fourth grade is whenever they started to decide to try to implement paddling, you know, and just paddling him whenever he would get bad. Then finally they was like, okay, we're going to kick him out of this school. So whenever he got to the fifth grade and was getting ready to enter into uh, enter into the, the middle school is whenever I finally was able to get a little bit more, uh, get a little bit more, I say resources there because I was able to get the, I get him an IEP um, in, in place or get started getting the, uh, getting more components besides just having a psychological evaluation. You, you spoke about a man who was your guardian angel, and I think mm-hmm. that's deceased now. Correct. Who was he and how did he help you? Uh, Mr. Coden Quicks. So I met him. Um, he was a therapist in Shelby, North Carolina. I can't remember the actual agency that he worked for, um, but I had called around to like 12, 13, 14 different people. And I just, I called one day and I was just crying and I, I called the lady and I was like, please help me. You know, because at that time my son wasn't going to school. Um, he didn't want to get up. He would just lay in the bed and just, you know, use the bathroom on himself. He just would he was not active at all. And so she gave me his name and said, call him. She, like she said, I believe that he will, he can really help you. So I reached out to him. I asked, I, I begged him to just help me. So he came to my home and, uh, you know, met my son, you know, sat down with him on the floor and just, you know, he's like, you know, we don't, because at the time my son wasn't talking at all. And he just like, you know, we're just saying, we'll just play games and we'll just, you know, he said, whatever you want to do. And, and that's what he did for my son for almost, uh, for, for about two or three years. Yep. He just, he sat and just, you know, sat down and just talked with him and, uh, he just really was a blessing. And so he was the one that actually helped me navigate through the mental health system to actually get him the services that he needed. And even in my own way, I didn't realize when the school was giving me a lot of pushback and was uh, just calling him a defiant child, 
Uh, one thing they did do during that time, whenever Mr. Colden Quick was in the picture, was they told me that uh, one of the, 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 the counselors at the school was like, well, since he's having all these defined issues and he's being kicked out of school, we don't want to remove him from this school that he's at. You can go to uh, get him a, um, put him on youth probation. So I went to the uh, police office and I had, they did like a certificate where he went to like a mock court because at this time he was very violent in the home as well. And uh, they, then they said this would keep him from being on the fast track of possibly getting a juvenile record. So to keep him from having that type of uh, situation, I did that and didn't realize at the time when I started implementing that and uh, started reaching out and got him, got him the therapist and had Coda Quick as a therapist, I was actually building a, uh, a case or a level up to the system of getting him a actual diagnosis. I didn't know it. So it's like somehow or another, divinely, I was actually putting stuff in place to keep him from falling back down the ladder. So whenever I got him to the hospital status and where they would ever to give him at least a diagnosis, I had tied up every other part of the systems that they would have uh, would have referred me back to and said, no, you need to go here, but I'd already did it. So um, that helped me get the diagnosis for autism because of all the other steps I took and did not know I was doing everything I needed to do to get him into the mental health care system. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to take a little pause for the cause and we'll be right back with LeBecky, Siobhan, and Lysandra on Autism in Color. Welcome back to Autism in Color with Siobhan, LeBecky, and Lysandra. So Lysandra, as we left off, we were talking about your son and his diagnosis. Tell me, when you were able to get your son in with a psychiatrist or a psychologist, what was the first diagnosis you got? The very first diagnosis that we received was that he had a personality disorder and bipolar disorder. That was the first diagnosis that they gave him uh, whenever he saw a, uh, saw a psychiatrist. And so whenever he went to the hospital, the, the next one was that he was actually schizoaffective. Possible in getting those diagnoses. Mm -hmm. How did that make you feel? And what was next? And how old was he when you got those diagnoses? Uh, whenever he got the diagnosis for being uh, bi having bipolar disorder um, and the personality disorder, he was only around 12 or 13. That's what they were saying. Uh, and so whenever I heard the next one, when he was 15, I was just scared. I think I was more or less scared for him. And, and I was scared for me as well, because by that time he was dealing with a lot of uh, hearing voices and hearing things. And they were and, and he was displaying all the signs of being homicidal and suicidal. So it was just so much going on in the home where safety was a major concern. So uh, but I didn't know how to keep him safe or keep myself safe. So uh, for me, I feel helpless. I want to go helpless. back. To, I want to go back to, I, I apologize for cutting you off. I want to go back to something, okay. something that you had said. 
So at that time, though, of getting the diagnoses that you received, you had already had things in place just in case. Is that correct? As far as like, so uh, the only things I really had uh, in place where at the time was that I had went and got on my own, I had went and got a the psychological evaluation from a, uh, a psychiatrist. Well, I mean, a psychologist. So we, but we didn't have a psychiatrist because he wasn't on any medications as of yet. So the psychologist is basically stated at that time that uh, she felt like he had, uh, that he had some mental retardation and that there was some intellectual disability there. So that's what the first side, the first psychologist stated. The psychiatrist stated that he, uh, that he that he diagnosed him with having the uh, bipolar disorder or personality disorder. So that's where the medications for psych for, for treating him psychiatrically psychiatrically came into place later. But you were saying that you had gone to the police station and you had built up. Yes. Okay. So yeah. So when we went to the police station, we we he did like a mock court. He completed the program without any issues. Uh, there, it was a six month thing where he did a contract with them. Was that done prior to getting the diagnoses of the different things that he was diagnosed with or after? Actually, that was during the same time. Okay, it was like time. right in the middle. Right. Because he was in, he was, uh, by this time he was in, um, he was in middle school. Okay. And so, and so the, one of the, the counselors, suggested that because he worked there he worked at the police office as a juvenile uh, as a juvenile detention uh, counselor so he actually referred us there so we could speak to him outside of the school system and at that time he uh, we did the contract with him that's good because he, he he took an interest in your son and that's what he needed right really right he took an interest in that because he didn't know he didn't know what was going on um but he was really disturbed by the behavior and so he thought he did think it was more something defiant, that it was environmental factors uh, going on. But he didn't really look at the mental health. He just thought that there was something like okay, his parent, you know, he didn't have a father in the home or that his father was an alcoholic because they asked all these questions. So he thought a lot of these things had to do with his upbringing or because there were certain people there not realizing still that there was a mental health situation taking place. Wow. But he took a an active role in your son's life. Right, right. That, that was really good. It was really good mm -hmm. for him. He stepped up. Yes, it was. You, you talked about your son liking to wear, you talked about your son, you talked about the fact that Denzel likes to wear a hood. And mm -hmm. tell me about the hood wearing. Um, Whenever he first started wearing it, they stated that hooding is a, a sign of individuals that they use that whenever they are dealing with depression or um, sometimes people that have schizophrenia, they like to, they'll put on extra layers of clothing uh, as a way to, to hide themselves from, from the world. Uh, but he likes to wear his headphones and his earbuds as well. So I don't know if more or less if it's more for comfort now, but before I would try to observe his behavior because I thought maybe he was doing it because he was getting more depressed or um, that he wasn't, you know, or that he was starting to withdraw. So, uh, but now he still wears, he wears it, but I think it's just something for comfort for him. 
you know, that now that he does wear, he does put the hoods on, but he likes to have the earphones in or the headphones in to listen to the sounds that he enjoys when it comes to music and stuff. It's my, it's my thought that our young men who are on the autism spectrum really like to wear their hoods and their earphones because as you stated, it allows them to block out the noises that are going on around them because sometimes it can cause, the noises that are going on around them can cause sensory overload for them. Right, correct. How, how was it for Denzel in high school? How did he manage high school? Since, you know, you had all the diagnoses and he was diagnosed with the different, I don't know, I don't know what to say, but he was diagnosed with with, with different, with different disorders, right? Right. All conditions. Correct. Um, Well, during that time, his, his, he really suffered in high school because during that time he was still, he was still hospitalized. So he spent the majority of his high school, he only got to attend high school during if I'm not mistaken, the ninth grade, uh, pretty much almost the ninth grade uh, and half of the 10th grade year. Because uh, by that time, like I said, he was 15 and he went into the hospital at Presbyterian. And then from there, he just, ex- he, they uh, knew that he needed a higher level of care. So during that time, he spent um, his high school years getting schooled within a, a psychiatric facility. So he was away from home. Uh, during uh, most of his high school years. But during that time, he did really well um, while he was there because he was getting his medications as he needed. Um, he had a support group there. He didn't like the facilities, of course, but he was. A, but he graduated early. So he did miss his prom, which, you know, he hated, but he ended up graduating ahead of his, uh, of his classmates. So by the time they were graduating, he'd already graduated. Um, so, but whenever he came back to do a graduation ceremony, he didn't get to go back to regular high school. He went to a school they had called Turning Point for children that were for 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 young uh, uh, school school kids uh, that were in high school that were troubled um, or th- or that came out of uh, psychiatric facilities. And so the principals there were phenomenal. Um, they were uh, two African American principals at that school. Uh, the counselors were trained in mental health. Um, they were uh, trained in being there for the kids. So he did, ex- did well. Right. So he did graduate from there, but he missed his high school friends. Um, but, you know, it, at the same time, I'm glad he was able to graduate, which was the main thing when he finally did come home. So even though he didn't really go to school there, he uh, he enrolled there to graduate. We're going to take a brief pause for the course and we'll be right back with Autism and Color with LaBecki and Siobhan and Lissandra. Hi, this is your girl Siobhan from Autism in Color, calling all businesses, independent artists, and nonprofits. If you have a product, service, or music that the world absolutely needs to know about, contact Autism in Color. You can reach us at autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. Again, that's autismincolorinfo at gmail.com. And you can call us at 704-835-3605. Again, that's 704-835-3605. 
Call us at Autism in Color because we are keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. And with our worldwide audience, we can put your business in the streets. This segment is being brought to you by Let's Talk About It, the Autism Center, serving young adults with ASD ages 17 through 40 and their caregivers since 2018. Check out our website and get to know more about us and find out about our upcoming events. You can find us at letstalkaboutittheautismcenter.org. You can email us at letstalk1922 at gmail.com or you can call us at 704-835-3605. Let's talk about it. The Autism Center and Autism in Color are keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back to Autism in Color with Rebecca Siobhan and Lysandra Oates. Lysandra. Yes. Mr. Denzel, tell us about his talents, his social life, and what he's doing today. I guess I'll start first with definitely his talents, which I'm super proud of with him. One thing uh, I would say I realized with autism is that they have certain fixations. So during this time of these fixations, he's always the fascination um, with what they call uh, Japanese anime or manga. And so it's considered to be one of the most difficult forms of drawing to do. So he actually can just look at the picture and he can draw it, but he'll sit there and draw for like six or seven hours. So one thing he's done with that is he's had people that wanted to buy his work. He's actually had his artwork displayed in Cleveland County uh, at the uh, the, uh, Cleveland County Arts uh, building whenever we stayed in Shelby, North Carolina. And so another thing that, hmm? I said good for him. Yeah. Yeah, so he's he he did he got really really good at that. Um, he also loves doing music, so he does uh, beatboxing. He's I call him the uh, the uh, autistic beat beatboxer, and he doesn't like to be called that. But I tell him that you know he's beatboxing across the spectrum because he's been an encouragement when he does events in the Charlotte area. Um, he's performed at uh, Symphony Park and some other uh, some other venues. And parents that know that they have children that are autistic and are, you know, looking into ways to assist them, like with music, they find it an inspiration and they find encouragement to see him use his talents and to continue to do so well at it. So those are things that he enjoys doing in his spare time. Um, he's working now. Uh, that's one thing that he's doing now, current day, um, besides pursuing his music. Um, so he uh, has a part-time job that he works. He doesn't actually like where he works at. But one thing it does do is provide him the opportunity to uh, save money, get more things he wants to do with his uh, with with his studio that he's building in his room and uh, and helping him get uh, helping him build up his social base with other with with other people, because through his music, he meets a lot of uh, guys who love music. He's also meeting individuals who do struggle with certain mental health challenges as well. And so through their music, they uh, connect and they talk about some of the things and how they use their music as therapy. So he uses his music to uh, write and rap about mental health. So I'm super excited that he's taking uh, these things at times that he felt like was a curse and turned into a blessing and that they're really impacting other individuals to uh, use music the same way. It sounds like Denzel 
has a lot going on. You also talked about him gaming. What's yes. that like? Oh, wow. He, uh, he's actually, he's been an avid gamer, I would say since he was, you know, a young kid, you know, and I, of course, gaming always gets a bad rap. But for individuals who are autistic, uh, a lot of times they like to create their own alternate reality um, if they're high functioning. So being able to be be online, uh, they're able to communicate in a way that they don't usually communicate with people social wise. So online, it's like where he he thrives the most at, um, and he has a lot of other friends online that are autistic as well. There's a community that he had learned about, and I think it's called My Weird Plan, community for individuals who are autistic, where they can go together and they can group chat, they can share things that they love to do. Hear a gentleman who has autism speak when we were in Shelby, North Carolina. Um, I can't remember his name. I think his first name was Carrie. But uh, so he talked about uh, things that kids with autism can do or adults can do to give them own community to build with other people that have autism. But what he does is he gets on there and he just builds his own community with the gaming. Um, and he's a pretty uh, avid gamer. He teaches other people how to uh, play complicated, uh, complicated games online. And uh, he actually makes us send him uh, prizes. And it's his, it's, his, uh, it's his reality. It's his world. So social-wise, he made, he's made a lot of friends he's had for now 15 uh, years um, from gaming. But there was something that you said about, you know, him b-boxing and he was like he doesn't like for you to say mm-hmm. the autistic b-bopping across the spectrum but i think that that's really good like he's autistic. right right I, I i i like it i like it right he doesn't like i guess he feels that sharing that that people would look at him differently and i told him i said i was like well the thing is is that honestly i said people people always will possibly look at you differently because of uh, the certain things I said. But the, because of that, whenever you take the stage and you show them your talent, your gift, they're blown away. And they're like, wow, we, you know, looking at him, they, you know, they're like, okay, well, who is this person? You know, we don't know how to, you know, they usually put everybody in a box. But the fact when he gets up there, he surpasses what they even thought that he was capable of doing. And so I told him, I said, this is your platform where you say you want people to understand about mental health. You want people to understand about autism. So you utilize that, you know, you use that to show people that, you know, that just because you have a disability doesn't mean it has to disable you um, because you, you have these things that you're challenged with. You use your challenges to, uh, you use your challenges to rise above those. And so now he does allow me to use it uh, at times and uh, people that are looking for someone to perform, they want something that's unique that's different. And so whenever he gets up there, they're actually just waiting, you know, in anticipation to hear him take the stage and see what he does. And they learn some about autism as well. And I've told him to start using that as a platform. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a vehicle to spread awareness for people to understand about what it is that people go through. It, it is absolutely, that's absolutely the truth because it, not only are people more aware of autism, but they become more aware of it when you have an individual on the spectrum who who is doing the things that he's doing, and it brings awareness to it. And they and and because people have biases about right. autism, they get to see that their biases may not be accurate. Hmm. Right. Correct. That's right. I like accurate. 
So in closing, I want to ask you this. I want you to tell me what has your journey taught you? Huh. One thing I would say that it's, it's, it's taught me, I have to say personally wise is I remember all of the, the most challenging, the most challenging times. And I, I say for me, where my faith was really, really challenged. And I was just like, I'm being punished, you know, you know, God's punishing me for some reason, because it was such a struggle. I couldn't keep jobs. I couldn't, you know, we end, I ended up homeless. You know, we went through so much of, of just me trying to get him the, the help that he needed. The journey was so long. And now looking back, I realized all of these fruits of the spirit that I was able to get from going through this. I learned patience. I learned long suffering. I learned what love truly is. Um, I learned how to uh, to not give up. I, I learned I learned what it means when it says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen because it never made sense to me to have faith, you know, but now I see the substance of everything that I hope for and what he's and what he's doing and how he's excelled. And it just makes me proud. Good for you. The struggle is real. What what is what is the term? You have loved your son unconditionally, right? God chose you mm -hmm. and you had to go through the storm right? to see the light. And it's all good because those of us with kids on the spectrum, we know, we feel, right. we feel you because it wasn't easy, but you mm -hmm. made it through. Yep. God bless you. Thank you so much. And God chose you for this journey. It wasn't for you to get it, get it all perfect, but it is for you to weather that storm. Yep, exactly. And you did. There were some rocky times, but you made it through. You made it to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And you and you and you you follow you followed that God that 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 guidance because you were being guided, whether you knew it or not. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which I think that was a, that was the thing. I never, I never, I never would have, you know, looking back, I'm like, whenever, you know, and, and all those things they start coming to me now where I hear that like all things do work together for the good. I couldn't see all of that working together, but now I'm seeing like all the people I can help, all the people that he's helped with what he's went through and how there is a blessing, you know, that there's a silver lining in everything and, and all the pain that we, that we go through. Absolutely. And so, and so I really, now I see the silver lining. I, I see, I see the glory through all the story, through all of the, all of the mess, you know, and all of the struggle. I, I truly do see it. And I'm, I'm grateful, even though I don't like it, how we had to go through it. Um, I'm grateful that we made it through and that we're able to help so many people. And you that we- wavered. You never wavered. Yeah, never wavered. And just all the people that were touched through what he's been through. And so we'll just continue to doing, you know, sharing that testimony as however we can. That's right. That's a testimony. Right. And we all have one. Some yes, we do. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you all for what you all are doing. I truly appreciate it. Truly appreciate it. And there's going to be so many people that are going to be impacted by this, you know, by what you all are doing. So don't stop what you're doing because it definitely is going to make a difference in so many people's lives. Thank you. Thank you.
Hello family, this is your girl Siobhan from Autism in Color, and LaBecky and I wanted to remind you to like Autism in Color, subscribe to Autism in Color, and most importantly, to share Autism in Color, because we at Autism in Color give families the opportunity to share their unique experiences, their challenges, and their triumphs. We at Autism in Color are keeping autism on the table and in the conversation, so don't forget like, subscribe, and share. This is your autism moment on Autism in Color. So I remember this time that uh, Denzel and I, we had uh, we, were, we were at a church service and we attended a wedding of a, a, a lady that I knew. And as she was walking down the aisle, you know, I was just moved to tears, but it was beautiful and the, the music that was playing. And he had been, and he was crying as well. He just was, seemed like he was having a bad day or just sad or angry or whatever. But then when I started crying, he looked up at me in the midst of his tears as he was crying and he just patted me and it got quiet in the church because the bride had made it to the, to the, to the groom at the, uh, at the altar. And he says, don't worry, mommy, we'll find you a man. So he thought, so he thought I was crying because I didn't have a man. So during this time, I'm sitting there. He's thinking that I'm crying whenever, whenever I, when everybody turned around, everybody thought that I'm back there crying because I didn't have a man, and because that's what he actually thought. My son thought I was crying because I didn't have a man. <laughs> this has been the autism moment on Autism in Color. Hello, family. This is your girl Siobhan from Autism in Color. And LaBecky and I wanted to remind you to like Autism in Color, subscribe to Autism in Color, and most importantly, to share Autism in Color. Because we at Autism in Color give families the opportunity to share their unique experiences, their challenges, and their triumphs. We at Autism in Color are keeping autism on the table and in the conversation. So don't forget, like, subscribe, and share.